Whenever someone says, you know, like, your burlesque is too political, it's like, well, burlesque is political because, you know, as we've already discussed, it's by definition, it's a joke, it's a parody. And from its beginning, the thing that was poked fun at most was the oppressing class. We talk about like intergenerational trauma and trying to decolonize our mentality, trying to get back to this wholeness. And I think sexuality is an intrinsic part in that and being good with yourself and being good with your body. It's my body on stage. At the end of the day, I'm the one who's sitting in it. It's not a piece of art that other people look at the wall. Like I am having to live in it. I'm having a conversation with the people around me, with my body that's continually changing and how I feel about it's changing. I'm Leanne. Welcome to Strippers and Sages. Today, I'm speaking with three incredible performers about the theme burlesque and liberation. My first guest is Lulu La Duchesse Derriere, known as the stripping sensation from the Mohawk Nation. Lulu was thrice voted into the burlesque top 50 by 21st Century Burlesque. She was voted number 11 worldwide, number one in Canada, and was named the queen of the New Orleans Burlesque Festival in 2018. Joining us is Una Ayo Sato, aka Exotic also known as Norms, a performer, writer, sex educator, care bear, clown, and stripper from New York, where they co-founded the queer BIPOC performance company Brass Burlesque. And we also have with us Jet Noir, creator of the Black Manifest, the all-Black, all-masculine burlesque review. He's a sex educator with over a decade of burlesque under his heels. Each of these performers has had such a vast and rich career, and they each share about their work, and we will link to as much as we can so that you can see some of the clips of their performances that we talk about. Without further ado, I bring you Burlesque as Liberation. Jet, Lulu, Una, thank you so much for joining me today. This is the first ever panel that we're doing on Strippers and Stages. So it's a intellectual and technological experiment. And I'm so grateful to each of you for making the time to be here. Thank you for having me. Thanks. Yeah. Excited to be here. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) So I would love to start off. I mean, you, you each have such varied and rich careers in the burlesque world. And I'd just like to start by hearing from each of you how you found your way into burlesque. Una, do you want to go first? Oh, okay. Sure. I was ready to point to somebody <laughs> else. Sure. Okay. Um, so my name is Una Ayo Sato, aka Exotic Other, aka Norms. Um, and I started doing burlesque maybe when I was a baby, Um, more formally as a career in 2007. I've been a performer and and artist my whole life. I grew up in New York City, the height of the AIDS pandemic and activism and art were just everywhere. So I think like performance art and burlesque and drag were always in my realm. Um, But 2007, I was really interested in like the ways that it I could tell stories about politics and the world that I was experiencing through my body and my specific location and understanding of the world, my journeys of like how to get free in my own body, all the like baggage that everybody else was throwing onto my body in terms of racializing me and my genders and sexualities, all that stuff. I could use burlesque to be like, actually, these are not my issues. These are societal issues. Let's all sit with this and, uh, 
and here are my titties. Um, and so, uh, <laughs> like, how do, um, cause like I went to theater school and it was very serious. And I think that took some of the joy of performing away. So, um, burlesque has been a way to have fun, fuck with audiences, play with them and do all that at the same time. So then I've been doing it since. And, um, and have a burlesque company called Brass Brown Radical Ass Burlesque in New York. And yeah. Amazing. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I'm Jet. Did you want to go next? Oh, sure. Um, so I got involved in the stage when I was modeling when I was a kid, like 11, 12. And then when I got into high school, uh, I me and two friends made a hip hop group and I choreographed our first routine. And um, then, you know, fast forward to some years later, I was doing performance poetry. And then from there, I um, I went back to modeling, but it was art modeling where they would, um, they kind of gave us autonomy to, you know, add whatever flair we wanted to it. So I would be in the back of this cafe completely nude and I would like bring whatever props for whatever theme that I decided it was going to be that night. And I just had fun with it. And, um, and I got so used to doing that, that then when I moved to San Diego, uh, I got involved with Dr. Sketchy. Some of you may know Dr. Sketchy's, but they tend to use burlesque performers and they're set in a, and they're in a bar setting and, you know, they got their costume on instead of being nude so that people can practice their skill sketching anatomy. Right. And so um, I got involved with them. And because so many of the other models were burlesque performers, I became friends with a lot of burlesque performers. And then when I moved up to the Bay, one of them who I become friends with in San Diego, Mixed Demeanor, she was like, hey, can you uh, help Can you help me out with an act? And, uh, you know, I had just moved here. This was uh, March of 2010. And... Um, no, I moved here in February of, Mar- of 2010, and in March, the following month, I was on stage uh, wearing only my underwear and covered in gold body paint, and my head shaved, and I was an Oscar. And I, so I was like this <laughs> living prop in her act. And what happened was uh, we didn't really rehearse this. I mean, we, re- we rehearsed the act, but not like what I ended up doing on stage. Uh, I just like ad-libbed some shit because ideally I was supposed to stay still the entire time. But um, every time she had her back to me and she couldn't see me, I started like coming to life and reaching out towards her and the audience was loving it. But then I would just go back to my pose so she didn't know I was doing it. <laughs> and, um, and I just, what I loved so much about backstage was that everybody was just welcoming. Nobody was like, get this new cat out of here. What is he doing? You know, uh, and, and, and it just felt like, I didn't realize how much I was looking for community at that time, but it just felt like that in that moment. And I just kept coming back every month. You know, I, I was stagehand. I was producer. Uh, I, you know, I've worked at every position except lighting. And so, um, <laughs> and so, well, actually lighting too. Anyway, the, so, so at one point I was, um, I was working as a back, the, the backstage door bouncer and I had been in a number of group acts at that point. And Juicy Delight comes up to me and she says, uh, I got a show. This is I, this is maybe August. And she says, I got a show in November. The theme is Schoolhouse Rock. You're booked. And she walked away. 
And so I didn't have time to object. And I was just like, fuck. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I put together my first solo. And um, and then, yeah, that was, uh, I think my first solo wasn't until like maybe 2011 or something. But yeah, my first time on stage was 2010. And here we are. Well, props to you for choosing a community where your community members get to have names like Juicy Delight and Misdemeanor. <laughs> I feel that probably enriches the community vibe to a great extent. Right, right. <laughs> and Lulu, tell us your origin story. I feel like an X-Men character. Yeah. <laughs> Segway, I had this conversation with my, my partner about... Um, if I was an X-Men character, what my power would be. And he said, assigning tasks. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very important power. Yeah. <laughs> Anyone out there? I am also a very, like, <laughs> I run the ship very tightly. Um, I started doing burlesque in 2006 in Montreal, Canada. And it was actually a, a few months after my 18th birthday. And how that came about, uh, I grew up mainly on a, a reserve out side of Montreal called Gunnawage. It's a Mohawk reserve. And uh, I was really lucky and fortunate to find this community program called the Turtle Island Theatre Company. So I did musical theatre from the age of five to 18. Um, but um, in my, like, there was the last year that I did it, I was uh, in college and I was studying health sciences. Uh, and this is before I went to university. So I was doing labs and all this stuff and I just was really falling behind. So it was, I had to to quit theater and it was the first like my first real thick bout with depression and uh it was like very alien to me I had like absolutely no creative outlet I had no sense of community I was just very like I would study and I would go home and I was depressed all the time and uh this is again dating myself but like the MySpace heyday I had a friend send me an ad on MySpace and she's like hey Lou you should check out uh this, uh, there's like a burlesque competition and I was like, I don't know. Like we had done, I'd done Gypsy, the play when I was 12 or uh, 14 years old. So I knew what burlesque was in the context of this play. Um, and uh, she's like, you should just put together a number because she's like, at the end of the day, it's everything that you like to do. It's sewing, it's dancing, it's theatrical. And she's like, and if you fuck up, it's just you. So you don't have to commit to rehearsing. Like, you know, so I, I felt comfortable in that where I'm like, oh, I could just really be, like autonomous and create something. So I created an act in my living room and I had my mom watch it. And it was like, uh, like a really, I mean, not a very great chair dance, but I went out there and I did it and I got a contract at this company for two years. So I ended up uh, working with a company called Blue Light Burlesque. And yeah, I mean, I just didn't like, didn't realize how much I needed that in that moment because, uh, I mean, I was very, I guess, reclusive. And I, I went to like a, a private Catholic all-girls school for high school. So like I had like no idea how to kind of like unpack my sexuality or like I was confident in things like I was very academic. So I was like, I'm smart. <laughs> and that was like my identity for like my entire childhood. Or I was like, I'm like... I like theater. Like, I, you know, I had all these different things I really enjoyed and like, I really didn't have a way of expressing uh, my sexuality or like finding my voice. It made me very uncomfortable. So like, it was a very safe way for me to also explore this kind of like hyper femininity and like this, like 
hyper seduction. And it felt like a really safe space when I was on stage to do that. So I was like this fucking crazy vamp. Sorry, I can swear, right? Oh, yes. <laughs> okay. I, I, I should have asked the explicit for... box when I published these. Yay. So. Okay. <laughs> but like, I remember just being like this insane vamp when I was like on stage and then going to like college and university and like not being able to talk to anybody of the opposite sex or the same sex. You know, like I was just like, very. but getting on stage, it was like I, I was putting on this armor and I could just, you know, be who I wanted to be. So yeah, it's a long-winded story. I like, I'm appreciating that your mom was your first audience. She was honestly, until I had my, my daughter, she used to come to all my shows, Aww. like all of them. Uh, and now, now she's too good for me. She's often, <laughs> she's, she's my babysitter. Yeah, so she, she's, <laughs> supportive in other ways. My parents come to all, all my, because my sister is also burlesque performer and her name's Sister Selva. And we run our company together along with Miss Aurora Bubrialis. And um, our parents are at all of our shows. And I remember the first time I was putting a piece together, I also, you know, I had never done this. And my parents were like, oh, what's that? And I was like, oh, it's a costume. And they're like, oh, cool. Like, I was like, it's burlesque. I'm doing this thing. And they're like, cool. Like, they had no idea what it was at all. But they're like front row, like, yeah, go, go. <laughs> I love it. I, I'm an amateur burlesker. I uh, went for my birthday a few years ago through my birthdays on December 23rd. So, and I can never celebrate it ever because everyone's already wrapped up in the Aww. holidays. So I was like, I'm going to throw a, a, um, a solstice party, a central solstice soiree on the solstice on the 21st. And it feels pretty essential for my own like vertical growth that I burlesque at this party. I basically was like, <laughs> I need to start, burle- I need to burlesque. That's going to be my, st-. and for much of the same reasons I'm hearing you, you saying in terms of what you want to step into and claiming that erotic energy and power. And uh, so I threw just a huge party just to make sure I had an audience for it. And since it was my birthday, nobody could kick me off the stage. Um, but I was less brave. This is all to say that I was like, mom, you got to go upstairs for the, for the burlesque bit. You got to like go outside. I'm pretty sure she's, I'm pretty sure she lingered in the back secretly. Anyway. So, so what is that like for you? I mean, and your parents have received it. Was there ever any sort of awkwardness in terms of, you know, I mean, they've, they burst you, right? So it's all right. <laughs> <laughs> My parents are, are just excited to see us do art and be in a place that we feel we can express ourselves and share and feel like in our power. And yeah, I mean, I'm sure like they definitely, there's like times when like, you know, in our people are like humping them and like they definitely, I'm sure, are feeling like, what? But they like go in there and how about other people? Supportive moms and dads. Uh, so my, um, my mom has come to see me perform twice, I think. Uh, and it's really just a matter of logistics because she lives in Detroit and I, I perform here more than anywhere else. And, um, so she's seen me once here in the Bay and she saw me in Detroit as well. And the best part for me is obviously I can't do this while I'm performing, but afterwards sitting with her and watching her face watching the other performers, that's the best, the best for me. Because, <laughs> you know, she, she's always doing these, like, and then just, just like, the look over the glasses. and, every, and So, yeah, I, I love that. And um, she, my mom has always said that uh, she's like, I don't care what you do as long as you're happy. You know, so she supported me in everything. And, and I think I've been really, really fortunate in that respect. 
and since we can't, since our listeners won't be able to see the looks to me, those <laughs> looks that you, that you captured from your mother, basically say, are you better than my son? No. Are you better than my son? No. <laughs> That's what that look over the glasses is that you're watching. <laughs> and how about your mom, Lulu? Sounds like she's been really supportive. Uh, yeah, my mom was like a, a notoriously scary lady <laughs> growing up. Um, both of my parents are like ex-military um, and like my mom was, uh, I was born in the States, I was born in Kansas and my mom had this rep of being like just really tough and um, like somebody you didn't mess around with. Uh, but she is like constantly just like my biggest supporter and like from the get, she's just been like, you can do this. Um, but we were... <laughs> We lived with our grandmother, um, and when I had started burlesque, or I was just thinking about doing it, I was building this act, I was telling my mom, I'm going to do it. She's like, well, we have to tell granny. And I'm just like, and that's like, so I'm afraid of my mom, <laughs> and my mom's afraid of her mom. And I remember, like, it was this big workup, and my grandmother was sitting in her wheelchair at the time. And I'm just like, um, so granny, and I'm trying to, like, intellectualize what I'm about to do. And I was like, I was thinking about putting together like a theater piece in which I would be removing my class. And I was like, <laughs> all this like a verbiage. And she's just like, oh, you mean a burlesque number? And I'm just like, <laughs> you, you know what burlesque is? And she's like, I used to sneak in. She goes, I snuck in to see Gypsy Rose Lee perform in Buffalo, New York when I was 11 years old. And I'm, she's just like, I know what burlesque is. And she's like, and I'm like, and how do you, how does that make you feel? And she's just like, well, if you're going to do it, she's like, you better be the best at it. And she's like, I want you to be good mm-hmm. at it. So like, you have to like commit to it. So, yeah, I think I had like, uh, like support, definitely pressure to be good. Like <laughs> for my grandma, she's like, I don't want no like half-ass <laughs> stripper living in my house. And I go full, <laughs> full into it. Um, but my mom has been really, really cool. My dad uh, had continued to serve in the military, like really, I think he retired just a few years ago. So, like, he has not seen me perform. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I think it's just been my mom and my sister, and that's it. <laughs> We're very tight family. The families that burlesque stay together. I don't know um, what's yeah. the line there. <laughs> burlesque and other stay together. <laughs> It's interesting right now because I have a six-year-old and we're homeschooling her. Um, and it's been really intense, like Zoom classes, because I'm just like, I swear a lot. And like I'm like, are you on mute? Are you muted? Are you muted? Um, <laughs> but she likes to chat and uh, she understands that I'm a dancer. She understands that mommy, like, because for the longest time... Um, I would work only on weekends. So like I would fly out like on Friday and perform in a festival and be back on Monday to go and pick her up at daycare. So like I would just, and I was gone like almost every weekend to the US and other parts of Canada. So she's used to me going and working. She knows that I'm a dancer of some sort. She has like no idea what that means. So she was talking to her teacher in French and she goes, oh, my ma mère, elle est une danseuse. Like she's a dancer. But in Canada, it, uh, in French, uh, here it has a different meaning. It, the, the connotation is that she's like an erotic dancer, like a, a, at a strip club, which I've also wor- I've worked in that line of work, but she doesn't know that. Uh, so <laughs> now on the Zoom meeting, and, and she continues the sentence, my mommy used to be a dancer and she used to get paid lots of money to dance. And now she's just tired all the time. <laughs> just like, ooh, <laughs> like it cuts deep. So I'm like, I cannot wait to just like have the conversation with her in a few years about what I actually do. And... <laughs> 
<laughs> why, why in a few years if she's sort of already... Uh, I mean, she just has a big mouth. <laughs> she has like a big mouth and no loyalty. <laughs> I have to sit on PTA boards and stuff like that. So like, I want like a little bit of a chance. Like hopefully next year we'll have her in an actual school. So I would like maybe a fighting chance with the other parents. With the P- at the PTA. That's fair, at that's the fair. PTA. Yeah. Well, it's really interesting that you all have these theater backgrounds. And I, what I found interesting in researching a bit of burlesque is I read an article that calls, you know, burlesque has these two lives and these different origins. There's the burlesque that originated in Greece and all over Europe. And it was this body a theatrical satire, right? So you're all coming from this theater background. And then it's really the U.S. that started to turn it into explicitly the striptease. And so I'm curious. Oh, and then I also came across burlesque uh, as a term, the word deriving from the Italian burla, which means a joke. So ridicule or to mockery. And so I'd love to hear from you. You've, you've all touched a little bit on like the political impact of your work, the satire. I want to know like what what is burlesque to you? What does it mean to you? How have you made it your form? Where does satire come into it? Um, and where, how do each of your own, how does each of your work either draw upon its origins or sort of be faithful to whatever we might consider traditional, even though I think there, that is still out for the jury, um, that it has these diverse origins? And then how does your practice diverge from maybe conventional understandings of burlesque? And anyone who feels not thrown off the spot can answer first. Go for it, Lulu. Okay, so um, I often describe burlesque, uh, people that may not understand what it is, as satirical sexual pageantry. Um, and that definitely like informed the way that I do um, burlesque. Because again, I think I was I touched upon kind of feeling lost in terms of like my sexual sexuality and, and uh, exploration into that. And uh, burlesque was a tool for me to to use that but I used the, you know like it was sexuality on steroids for me like I would just come out and like like hanging off curtains and smoking cigarettes it was just like a, it was like a Lulu was a kind of like a comic book character at the beginning like it was just like it was way over the top and um I don't know I think it's a really beautiful medium of storytelling and I think um my relationship with performance and dance is also really um informed not only by theater but by like my cultural relation to dance and to uh performance and I believe that that's like um it's often like a uh like medicinal dancing and my culture is medicinal we often dance for people that can't dance so um yeah I just I just feel like burlesque for me is a lot of different things um and I'm losing my train of thoughts if anyone wants to jump in (laughs) yeah yes all that yes I sort of teach sex ed also in my daytime. And I often think of burlesque as nighttime teaching sex ed. You know, I'm teaching about the same kind of things, celebrating bodies and consent and all that, uh, just to a different audience. So sometimes I explain to my students like what burlesque is and that it's full body storytelling where sometimes you take your clothes off. And then I just like leave it at that. I'm like, okay, moving on. (laughs) Sometimes I'm like, Um, For me, also, figuring out gender and sexuality had always been this very uncomfortable place. And through burlesque, I, like, definitely learned that 
everybody's sexy looks different. And that's what's so beautiful. Like, Jet, you were talking about, like, on and off stage. And I also, like, always feel so struck by the, like, community that's just, like, celebrating all different kinds of bodies. I think because I was, like, so trained of, like, what sexy should be, that it should be really high femme, that it should be all these things that I never was or am in my life burlesque became this place where I could play with what that actually meant to me and that like sexy could actually be funny and it could be political and it could be awkward and so the kind of burlesque that I was doing in the beginning I wouldn't get booked for a lot of shows outside of the performance groups that I was in I had like producers be like your stuff's too political because I'd be like doing pieces about like nationalism and like have like blood on my body and how it like you know, was so like a violent project and, you know, whatever. And people like, that's making people feel uncomfortable. Um, <laughs> and so I felt like really like, oh no, like here I found this art form that I thought is like my way of expressing myself and my understanding of the world, but I'm doing it wrong or whatever. I still stuck to like, this is, I'm doing this for me and my communities that I want to speak to you. Um, it wasn't until later I learned the origins of burlesque and that it always was about social commentary and um, satire. And I was like, oh, that's great. That's like a lot of how I feel about like history where it's like we all are tapped into a thing that we're doing and we're doing it for a higher purpose or reason that we might not know of at the time and that actually we're connected to all these lineages that have sometimes been kept from us. So once I learned that, it also like freed me up to explore more stuff within burlesque. Like I could explore more of this like a high femme. Like I, I didn't feel like I had to only hold down like I'm gonna tell like these other harder stories. I could play with um, more things. And I'm loving that you can describe some of your work because it helps us visualize a little bit and, and make tangible. So even in a piece like, I, as you're speaking, I'm curious, like what makes it burlesque versus, you know, a, a piece of political satire on stage that is just its own piece of theater? Do you have an insight into that? Uh, I, I have a thought on that because I feel like, I feel like burlesque is political, you know, so it's not... So whenever someone says, you know, like your burlesque is too, is too political, it's like, well, burlesque is political because, you know, as we've already <laughs> discussed, it's by definition, it's a joke, it's a parody. And it, from from its beginning, you know, it, the thing that was poked fun at most was, you know, these, the oppressing class, right? And so, uh, so therein lies the politics because eventually you will aim it at, at a political party or a particular political figure uh, or... You know, you'll talk about these these class and race dynamics that a lot of people don't want to talk about. And if that makes people uncomfortable, then it's like, okay, welcome to the show. <laughs> welcome indeed. And Una, did you want to jump back? Yeah, I, I think I think the like different elements of it all make um it burlesque. Like I think the tease and like the way a story is told, but then like you can fuck with that. Like um, I also try to like learn about and think about the origins of what burlesque to me means. And it like, I started trying to do like a timeline and then it ended up like an art piece of like a stars constellations in the sky. I can't think of the origins of burlesque not being connected to like bodies being stolen from Africa and being put in the world's fair. I can't think of it disconnected from like genocide of native people on the lands I'm on or people building railroads bodies and violence feel also so connected to what stories were then continuing to tell through our bodies that continue to survive that's the not sexy version of it also but yeah 
like Jet was saying, it can't not be political, I think, also. As far as how I, you know, uh, make it burlesque, so to speak, it, you know, sometimes the satire will be found in in the the lyrics and the conjunction with what I'm doing. That's not something that I like to rely on because I don't expect people to be able to hear lyrics or that they would know the lyrics if it's some obscure song. But sometimes uh, it can be found there, uh, uh, an Easter egg, if you will. And then sometimes, you know, how I make it satirical or, or burlesque or polit political will be, it will be more overt, like me, I have an act where I die under an American flag. And there's, you know, <laughs> that that's obviously going to be interpreted many different ways by people in the audience. I have no control over that, but but I am saying a lot, right? And so, um, and then sometime it'll be in the costume. I, in, the, in that same act that I mentioned, I have this vintage um, military uniform, this piecemeal. So the bottoms are uh, Marine Corps dress blues, but the top is an Air Force uh, shirt. Both are vintage, but this person who, uh, who had been in the military was backstage and he was like super upset. Like, you know, you can't wear those together. I was like, yeah, that's the point. <laughs> so, so, so it was, it was me just sort of lumping these different branches of the military into one category. And would people catch that right away? Maybe they would, maybe they wouldn't. But for those that do catch it again, Easter egg. So I like to do that sort of thing, you know, add those layers. Right. Um, and then, um, as far as, you know, like what traditional elements I bring to burlesque and that sort of thing. I've never considered myself classic because I don't see anybody that looks like me in the history books. And so, so I've never found myself thinking I want to model some choreography on, you know, this person or that person, because I don't, I don't feel like I relate to any, any, any of them. And so, uh, and, and the other, the other thing that I, I've never ever liked the word boylesque. I understand that from a marketing standpoint, it has a place in the world. I get that. But, um, you know, when the when the term first started to become popularized in the 60s, this was when what was being done was like more explicit uh, impersonation of women. And and that's just not what we do anymore, you know, and and um, or and, and I, it's not fair for me to say we it's not what I do. Uh, I don't you know, I come with my own stories and and I and I show up as a masculine being on these stages and um but that but that doesn't but I don't mean that in the you know in in the toxic sense of let me you know uh, uh impose myself on you it's more no I'm just going to stand within this power and not and not really make it about that that's just a component you know and so um so for me it's I always, I always correct people when they say boylesque, and I said, no, it's burlesque, because when you look at any of these core definitions, none of them have gender associated with it. And furthermore, in, in an age when, when gender is, is, is not as relevant as it once was, uh, you know, and, and that's all because of our, you know, our creative conscious changing, uh, where gender is less relevant, why do we feel the need to add a gender to something that didn't have gender in its definition in the first place? You know, and, and so uh, so that that that's that's always been my pushback against that word. Uh, when I think about another important thing that I bring to burlesque, it's representation, because I um, 
we we probably did about three or four shows, but I, I produced this show called The Black Manifest, and it was all black, all masculine performers. And um, and I promise you, there's not two of us in a city. Everybody was flying in, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's... Um, and so there are times where I hear people talking about tokenism, but I'm like, yeah, I would rather be like the one of me on that stage as opposed to none of me on that stage, you know? And um, that doesn't mean that I enjoy being a token, but, you know, I'm not going to like shy away from it because, you know what I'm saying? So, so yeah, that's, uh, those are my thoughts on that. Thank you. To, to follow up on that a little bit, and then we'll loop back. Um, what, why do you think that, I mean, there's so many reasons, of course, and related to all of the kinds of gender and racial, racial oppression that we're talking about, but just to get into it a little bit, why do you think that there's so little representation specifically of Black men in the burlesque world? Well, let's start with men, uh, because men have like a lot of body image issues. They don't they don't talk about them overtly. You don't hear about it a lot. You don't see very many articles and that sort of thing. But holy hell, try to get one of them on stage. And every time they're like, oh, but I don't I got to hit the gym first, bro. You know, I. I can't get up there looking like this. And I'm like, yeah, that's not the point, man. It's like, if you got a story to tell, people want to hear your story or they want to see, they want to experience your art. If you have some art to bring, then bring that. And so um, so in, in regards to men's, and, and I say this because I used to do this, like uh, it was uh, an offshoot of nudie newbies. It was nudie new boys. And it was trying to get these masculine bodies to stage like for the first time. And so much fear. Okay, so so that that's been my experience in regards to getting men to the stage. When it comes to black men, then it's like culturally speaking, uh like any any black man that I grew up with back in Detroit, when I go back home, I don't tell them what I do because trying to even explain it is just like I'm no, we're not. You know what I mean? And so um that's not to you know. That's not to say that I'm assuming what they will be on board with or not. I just listen to them talk, and uh, and culturally speaking, there's not very much, you know, uh, um, there's not a big welcome area for, you know, expression that is anything less than manly, right? And so, and and this is such a funny thing about you know living in Detroit in the '80s because. Seeing people like all of the uh, androgynous influence that came from pop stars like Prince and and Morris Day in the eighties, people you know all these brothers were wearing heels, right? And they were they were cool with it because the person that they liked was cool with it, right? And so, uh, so they had that influence. And so a lot of times when people talk talk to me, they're like, "Well, why do you do it? What do you, you know, um, what do you hope will happen?" That sort of thing. If I can, if 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 there's one like black kid or black man that that sees me on stage in heels and they feel like oh you know maybe I could do that and I won't die right and and also for them to realize that that it's not tied to sexuality you know like this is expression right it doesn't it doesn't mean anything off stage it just means that I'm this is what I'm this is who I am right in this moment and um yeah so so I hope that answers the question as to why why I feel like there are so few black men in, in burlesque. Absolutely. Yeah. And I was going to ask, you know, who's in your audience too? like, are, are black men going to burlesque or, you know, do you feel that 
because I think there there is something so powerful. And I, I want to get in a little later to this question of audience and the audience's experience and um, the liberation that comes from witnessing each of you in this art form. Um, but, and so I can just see how, of course, either it's the, the little kid or even a grown man, anyone, it's like when you see somebody so overtly breaking what you have thought to be is just this rule about how you get to express yourself and show up in society. It's, it's a very liberating thing. So yeah, who are, the, who are the audiences that you get to share your work with who you might be inspiring in that way? I, I wish I could sit here and say, oh, a lot of Black men come to burlesque shows. I don't, I don't see it that often. You know, I mean, I, and uh, when I do see it, then it, it is a specifically Black show. Like if it's an all Black cast or something, I feel like they'll make their way out for that. But what tends to happen in a lot of other shows is you know, unless unless there's like a, a concerted effort by the production team, then you end up with a lot of these majority white cast. And, um, you know, to some people, that's just not appealing. So so I can't say that I'm surprised if they don't show up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I want to go to you, Lulu, to talk a little bit about your own, your own work and how it addresses the themes that I brought up earlier. And I also just want to reference and quote you a little bit uh, to, to segue in. Because um, I know that Vice did this documentary on your work, and you spoke a little bit about how trauma is not the only response, or rather, the response to the trauma of colonization doesn't have to be one of cover-up, and how that actually becomes damaging when it's the only narrative. And so in talking about, yeah, your work, I'm curious also about how burlesque serves as this chance to rescript um, personal and collective narratives, as you've been talking about around sexuality, and then anything else you want to share about, about all these themes. Yeah, um, I think as recent years, uh, trying to contextualize just the stuff that I've been doing, because I often get asked about um, bringing in cultural components into my work um, and what that looks like. Um, And I was doing an interview with somebody and they're like, oh, so this one act, like your cultural representation act. And I was like, okay, so (laughs) I'm like, yes, this is like the most on the nose act where I am like directly referencing my heritage, and we'll unpack that in a second, but I'm like, you can look at my entire 15-year body of work, and like, it is a celebration of Indigenous, like, Afro-Indigenous sexuality, and I'm like, so like, all of my work is, is about, like, all of my work is political, all of my work is about, like, Indigenous issues in, in, um, and affecting the indigenous women because I'm an, an indigenous woman living in the 21st century. So just by my being here on stage, like this is an act of rebellion. This is an act of resistance, but this is also a celebration, right? And it doesn't have to be like, you know, uh, and I, I had started kind of my career doing classic burlesque, um, kind of, uh, Jet, you had talked about not like, you didn't really um, identify with that form of burlesque because you didn't see yourself in, in, I, I'm a consummate shit disturber and I didn't see myself on those stages either. And I didn't see anyone that looked like me. So I was like, and I was told very early on, well, you can apply to this festival and you'll never get to do this competition. And like, uh, don't even think about it. Like, don't even think about going to this city because they don't want to see you. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to do classic burlesque and I'm going to just like, I'm going to be the best at it. I'm going to do like, and so I, like I started doing all these competitions and I, I and I really... Uh, I think at the beginning of my career, made a name for myself in this like milieu of classic burlesque. Um, and I have like uh, 
I have a big respect for that type of striptease. Uh, and like for anyone that doesn't know what that is, it's like very gown and glove um, or hoochie coochie. Uh, it's not just, it's not just like all pretty gowns and stuff like that, but it is, it is like harking back to striptease from the 50s, 60s, 70s. Like it's very, um, yeah. So I would do these like very kind of pretty acts, but at the end of the day, I'm like, you know, I, when I debuted at Burlesque Hall of Fame in 2016, somebody was just like, am I just, am I watching an indigenous woman do a, a classic burlesque act? And they were just like, they're, and that, that was the comment that stuck with me. It's like, I can't believe I'm, I watched a Mohawk woman do a, a classic burlesque act. And it was something that was so trivial. I was like, why is this the thing? But then I was like, oh, that's actually really cool. Um, because as much like representation needs to come in all shapes and forms. So shifting into like some of my later work and stuff like that, like I have this act, which is really about like, uh, not just like decolonizing sexuality, but also like reclaiming sexuality um, and like kind of a direct response to some of these conversations that I've had over the years about um, modesty and the importance of like respecting your body. And, you know, as an indigenous woman, it's super important that we are modest and we respect our body, but that's like a direct response to colonialism. It's a direct response to being targeted. Um, and I mean, I there is like uh, an epidemic of missing and murdered indigenous women. Our governments do nothing about it. When these people are like in any kind of, there's no repercussions, especially in Canada. That is a very clear message that's been given in like court proceedings and stuff like that. People that um, do harm to indigenous women are often not tried or prosecuted. So it is something that you grow up with knowing that it is a very uh, high possibility that you will, experience sexual assault at some point in your life and that like you might even experience bodily harm and it's just like a fact you know that in my community there's been um, a woman that was who lost her life a few years ago and like it is again it is is commonplace it's it's every community has these stories um and that response to cover up and protect yourself I understand that like as a parent I understand that like not wanting to lose your child um but like as an adult woman, it is really damaging and hard to grow up hearing that all the time. And like, um, you know, we talk about like intergenerational trauma and trying to like decolonize our mentality and trying to get back to this like wholeness and, and to heal and stuff like that. And I think sexuality is like an intrinsic part in that and being good with yourself and being good with your body. And, uh, I feel like a lot of my later work kind of explores that. So specifically the my Peace, Power, and Righteousness Act, which is my purple act, um, it's a lot of it's about juxtaposition. So the costume is pretty classic. Like I start off in a Catherine Delish robe. <laughs> if anyone doesn't know what that is, they're very expensive. They're very nice. <laughs> so, You're wearing and, it right you know, now, right? That's, I'm wearing your, it right now. Saturday loungewear. Yeah, as we discussed It's my earlier. Saturday... <laughs> It's also my Saturday robe. I have one for every day of the week. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so it's like this really like opulent robe and there's like a corset and a gown and stuff like that. Um, so it does have like initially the visual cues of what like a, like a high, um, like high glam burlesque act would be. Um, but the music is all music from a group called A Tribe Called Red, uh, who are also Mohawk producers. And what they do is they use traditional songs and they kind of just like remix them. Um, so it's like this really, it's like, um, it's like kind of new wave indigenous art. It's indigenous futurism. And 
I I love this band because I really think that the work that they're doing musically is kind of what I aim to do uh, in my performance, which is like kind of the marriage of like old and new. Um, because yeah, also like on a, on a segue, it's really frustrating being Indigenous and we're one of the only populations that are like frozen in time. When we talk about anything traditional, it's like pre-contact, you know, like what, what, like to live off the land and like, you know, and I'm like, it's really hard because nobody talks about what it means to be Indigenous in the 21st century. And what does that look like? And like, um, not nobody, I feel like right now we're like in this kind of renaissance where there's all these like really great Indigenous artists, like just like going ham and exploring these kind of things. Um, so anyways, to get back to this act, I'm using this kind of contemporary Indigenous music. Um, and the dancing that I am doing is kind of modeled after uh, powwow dancing, specifically two dances. So um, I do fancy footwork. Uh, I was a fancy shawl dancer. Uh, when I don't do burlesque, I like to dance at powwow sometimes. Um, and then I also um, modeled it after uh, men's traditional dancing. So this is one of my favorite styles of dance to watch. Um, and it is a storytelling dance and often it's telling the story of a hunt. So if you're watching these dancers, they're talking, like they're showing you how they tracked an animal, how they, they captured it and like shooting arrows and stuff. Like it's very visually beautiful to watch. Every man is telling a different story and they're kind of showcasing how strong they are and how like, you know, look, I, I fought in this war and I provided for my family. It's a beautiful dance to watch. Um, and it's one of my favorites. So this act is kind of an interpretation uh, of that but from the, the animal that's been trapped um, and the animal that's being hunted. Uh, so it's like, it's a lot of the movements are very like animalistic. There's a part where like I pantomime being snared in a trap. It's like, it's very, it's a very heavy act. And it's something that like, um, it keeps changing. Like it keeps shifting. So I mean, like, I think, uh, Jet, we were in Chicago together, were we? Yeah, I think that was March of uh, 2018 or no, 2019. What year okay, is this? So, <laughs> like, what is time? <laughs> what is time? <laughs> what is time? <laughs> um, so, correct me if I'm wrong, was it for Jeezy's Juke Joint? Yeah. That we were together? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, I mean, that for me was also like, that meant the world to me to be invited because I, uh, you know, I am Afro Indigenous, but a lot of people don't uh, recognize me as a, a Black woman. Uh, and I also, like, growing up on a reserve with my, like, Indigenous family, like, I, and it's also a matriarchal society. So like I was raised with like my Mohawk culture and that's like kind of where I identify. So when Jeezy called, I was like, do you want to do Jeezy's juke joint? I was like, me? <laughs> I would, well, I would love to. And then uh, it was funny because my husband was in the audience and we were just watching, he was watching and he was like, I've seen you perform that act. I've only performed it maybe six or seven times. And that was maybe the third time I was doing it. And he's like, I've seen that act twice. And he's like, and I've never seen you perform it like this and he's like it's just such a shift in energy because he's like it's normally really intense I often end up crying on stage it's like it's not I'm like I'm really selling it hard I'm like it's a good time guys just, uh come and watch me cry on stage <laughs> <laughs> but it's you know it is this super heavy act um that means a lot to me and it's uh yeah to do it at a place like Jeezy's Juke Joint, it, it was celebratory and it was fun. And I was, um, because I was around, you know, my people and it was, it was a completely different act performing that act to like a, like a BIPOC audience, which I've never, I've never performed for an exclusively BIPOC audience before. And I was like, it was, 
amazing. Yeah, and then I think I went to Texas and did it, and I was, then it was back to like, <laughs> this is not for you. This is, you can watch this act, but it's not for you. Um, yeah, so, yeah, it's interesting. Um, that is definitely like uh, a more heavy-handed act uh, because I have, yeah, I think it's interesting because I think a lot of people know me for that act now, but the, the, it might be jarring to see some of my other work, which is very like, pretty and classic and you know uh and this is like kind of the antithesis of all of those acts uh and there's actually no elements of tease in it um which is something that I intentionally put in there like my breasts are pretty much exposed at the beginning and like none of the clothes come off and like uh like everything is like aggressively taken off Mm -hmm. the body and then I'm naked for pretty much a minute of the last the last minute of the act and just dancing on stage so it's, it's a really, like, a big departure from a lot of the stuff that I do. Um, and I'm kind of happy to have that. Uh, I'm kind of happy to have that reprieve from, I don't know, reprieve from the pretty stuff. Like, a reprieve. <laughs> it's nice to have a, something different. Mm-hmm. Sounds amazing. Sounds Thank amazing. you. Yeah. Well, I want to let Una answer. And I do have a, I mean, I have a couple questions left, but I have one that I want you to be able to answer as well, Lulu. So, yeah, I want to go to you, Una, to talk about uh, all of this how this all plays out in your work and go for it. Yes. So uh, I think for me, like what's such a big part of burlesque is that it's my body on stage. It's like, I'm I'm not going to tell somebody else's story or like, you know, something like, it's like at the end of the day, I have to, I'm the one who's like sitting in it. It's like, it's not our piece of art that other people look at the wall. Like I am like having to live in it, um, which makes like sometimes like some of my harder pieces that like deal with like themes that, um, I was actually in Canada in like Edmonton performing once and somebody walked out of my show. Uh, I do solo shows also. So I'll do like storytelling and burlesque and somebody walked across the stage while I'm in the middle of like stripping and like, because the piece got them like so angry. And I was just like, like afterward, just like crying. It's a pretty vulnerable place to this particular piece. I was like, it was pretty vulnerable. And like later my friends were like, you should have sh- thrown your shoe at that person. Like, why? and I was like, oh, I should have. Um, but also I had to be like, okay, well that person, like it evoked so much emotion in them and discomfort that they just had to leave and, um, be really rude to me. Like who walks across someone's fucking stage? Like what? Um, anyway, so that was in my younger, I, if that happened now, I would deal with that much differently. Um, but the pieces that I do, I feel like, um, are like particular moments in time that like, I'm like having a conversation with the people around me, with my body that's like continually changing and how I feel about it's changing and, um, what's happening in the world, just changing or not, or, you know, what's time. Um, but, uh, so I have a piece that I do where I'm in like full orca drag, like, uh, I like built with my dad out of garbage bags, um, an orca costume head to toe. And, Oh, uh, work a whale. Yes, yes. Making sure there wasn't <laughs> some like cool slang out there that I'm not hip to. Okay, orca whale. Orca whale. <laughs> um, orca whale drag. The piece is about dealing with body image and like, what if orcas felt fat and no, like they need their fat to survive. And I have like um, images of like skinny orcas on the cover of Vogue and like this orca's like trying to be skinny and. <laughs> Uh, and it's to like free the free willy theme song um and uh 
Uh, so like, you know, the orca's like so happy to be an orca in the beginning and swim in the sea and just be itself. And then like media and, you know, society, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, and then like, I get to uh, like strip it and, um, and then like, uh, embrace and enjoy my own body uh through the journey of it and um uh, I celebrate the body that I'm in and um it's interesting I was just like looking at the piece the other day because I've been pretty sick for nine months uh like I can't I can't walk for very long because I get winded or um like I'm like I can't imagine doing that piece right now uh and my body feels so differently and I, I so I'm thinking about like how what, how does, how do my pieces change over time? And how do I like celebrate my body in the moment that it's in? How do I like, um, love and care for it in a continually changing body? And I have another piece that I do that's about like, um, consuming news. Um, and so I like start to like reading a newspaper and then by the end, I'm like eating the newspaper and like throwing it up and um, which is how I feel like the news happens to me every day. It's like this, like, <laughs> process and the, and, the, and I was screaming also because it's just like it's just so painful everything that's happening in the world every day and um it does feel like a really cathartic piece it's like a painful piece but also really cathartic of like what I wish I could do to or I end up doing to my computer or phone every day or just like, why why um and in the audience like I can hear people also like vocalizing some of that pain and releasing it. And um, me and my sister, we run this and um, our third partner, Mr. Gabriales, um, run this monthly queer BIPOC show called um, Compost Bin, where we take the things that are happening in the world and um, like with burlesque and drag and uh, other kinds of comedy, other kinds of like art forms um, uh, and compost it so that hopefully can be of use again. And so we do burlesque pieces and also we have this like composting ritual that we do where we have the audience write on paper or shout it out or just feel it in their hearts of what they want to compost. Um, and so, you know, we've got a lot of themes that come up a lot, like supremacy, capitalism, <laughs> colonization, like uh, they, they come and we compost it. Um, and uh, I hope that through these shows that do center who, we have who are like this is who we're going to shine light on um it does like affect who our audience is and that people can leave feeling a bit more liberated themselves like i mean whatever that like even if it's just like a crack and they're like ah, i can like oh i can breathe a little more or deeper or i feel seen hoping that in my sharing of what my body experiences and how i experience the world um and the way that we gather together that my art can help uh, others uh, and myself. Yeah. Um, I want to come back to the audience in a second if you have, if you two have five more minutes, but I want to give uh, Lulu, just before you go, I want to hear, you know, you're talking about stepping into your sexuality and uh, all of these amazing things from your journey. Like, how has burlesquing most impacted how you move through the world? That's a question for everyone, but I want to start with you. Mm. Uh, it's, I don't know, I, Lulu has been, like, just part of me, um, and it's interesting, because I think, I, I mean, I've, I've definitely found time, especially now during the pandemic, to teach, um, burlesque, or, like, my philosophy on burlesque, and it's 
fascinating because the people that are coming are like uh, to, to learn and to uh, that are interested in, in starting to perform are generally adults with like fully formed <laughs> thoughts and you know uh, senses of self and you know or or, or maybe like, you know not fully formed but like people that have really established themselves as free thinking individuals and. I definitely was not that. That was not my path. I, I started super, super young, and I started I think before I had any kind of real um, sense of who I was. So in a weird way, like Lulu and Lauren came to be at the same time, um, and yeah, I think that is often a question I get asked: is like, what is the character of Lulu? And I'm like, Lulu is the character. Lulu is just a facet of who I am, and I'm like, I am a multifaceted person. So I'm like, that's. Yeah, that that's kind of the, it's infinite room to play in and stuff like that. So I think that burlesque definitely, uh, like, it gave me the confidence to move freely in the world, and it it was like the piece that was missing because I did, um, like I had mentioned before, like I I went to this private Catholic school. I was like very academic. I like I after uh, I did sciences, I went to go and study law, and I you know I went to like one of the best law schools in our, in our country uh, when I was 19 without a bachelor's. Like, I was very, very academic. And at one point, like, that was, like, my identity. So, like, being able to be confident in that realm of, you know, uh, like, I'm, I, this was so much, that was, like, who I was. And, and then, like, ha- having burlesque kind of shoehorn its way into that because I ended up dropping out of law school to pursue a career in burlesque full-time. Uh, <laughs> like, yeah, I think it's like, uh, no regrets yeah. <laughs> as the kids say. Um, but yeah, I just, I think having burlesque kind of shoehorn, it came into my life at the perfect moment because it, it really helped me form my voice. And now I had, I was confident in all aspects of my life. I was, I was, comfortable taking up space. Um, I was comfortable speaking. Um, and you know, it, it just, it was a really beautiful thing. And I feel very fortunate that I've had that, like that. And it, that does come a lot from the home life. It does come from having community support and having my parents uh, support me. I often talk about growing up in a naked house. You know, we were always naked in our house and, it, and I talk about how important that is and, and having a little girl uh, and being, naked around her and, you know, and her being, it's, it's so important because you don't, I, things I took for granted, you know, of, of just really expecting, like, um, being comfortable in my body and then being able to share that with people, you know, it's, it is a gift and it's a gift that I really want, um, other people to explore. So it's, it's, I'm in a place right now where I think it's like full circle where I've done my journey in burlesque. I'm continuing my journey in burlesque, but I also have the bandwidth and the wherewithal. And I don't know if it's being like, also like being a mom, like a physical, somebody is like actual mom. I, I do have this kind of energy. I'm noticing a shift in energy where I'm, I'm wanting to share that with other people and not just performing for them, but also showing them how to, to connect, what that, that means for them, helping, hopefully helping people explore what that is for them. Thank you. So, yeah. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm sorry. Thank you. You I'm sorry that we we started a little late. So thanks so much for being here. And I'll let you all go really, really shortly. I just want to let you answer that question. But thank you. It was. Thank you. It was so nice seeing everybody. So nice to meet you. It was nice to meet you. It was good to see you. (laughs)
<laughs> Bye, guys. Be well. Bye. So, Jet, same question for you. How has how does burlesquing, how has your your performance experience changed how you're moving through the world? Uh, well, I feel like any time on stage creates this sense of community with the audience because you realize, you know, you're in your living room at home or whatever, you create this weird thing and then you take it to a stage somewhere and the audience cheers for it. And then you're like, oh, maybe my thing wasn't so weird because there were a bunch of people in the audience that felt me, they got me. And so what that does is that it, it for me, it created this sense of, uh, oh, I'm not alone in my weirdness, right? The more my weirdness was accepted at state in stages around the world, the more that I was, you know, uh, willing to bring my weirdness with me all day, every day, in every facet of life. And so, um, because, you know, even if I was the only one laughing at the joke in the room, then <laughs> there's a chance somebody else felt it. And they were just like, oh, it's not appropriate to laugh at this or whatever, you know? It's just given me that sort of, that that specific brand of confidence where, you recognize that, oh, I'm not the only weird one. Mm-hmm. I think I'm, before I go to you, and I actually want to read something that you wrote about the audience, and because this is something I've been thinking about. And you said, we want nothing of the audience but to witness and hope or know that their own freedom is wrapped up in ours and that the freer we each are, the more present and fully embodied we are to work for our collective liberation, toppling down borders, prisons, and all other systems that cause silence and keep our people from being free, all while taking off our clothes, showing some titties, ass, and armpit hair. <laughs> and I think that's so, so amazingly said, and would love for you to expand both on how it helps you move through the world, and then for both of you to say, you know, how does your liberation on stage, your performance serve your audiences, and how do you, maybe just some closing thoughts on this idea of liberation through burlesque. I think that it's so exciting to imagine like the role that our art can play in in these larger art movements and um, that visioning and like embodying and um, like, cause you know, it's like a continuous process for all of us, but that we can like each share examples of like, this is what it can feel like when we're free and we're not there yet at all. And we are, and that constant dialectic of things is exciting to what can we all do in in working towards that. And so everything is so painful all the time. And I just want us to feel that goodness in our bodies and with each other and, um, and like not, and not wait till it's here. <laughs> and I don't, I, I don't think it's idealistic. I think it's really what, what art can offer our world is reflections, vision, memory, all at the same time without time and space and connection to each other. I hope that that's what my art can do. Yeah. Yeah. You And you both spoke about burlesque as this practice of envisioning and practicing for the world that you want on stage. And I think what you're saying really captures that. Um, do you want to add anything, Jet? Uh, yeah, it, I, I feel like I touched on it briefly earlier, but I just want to just uh, reiterate. It's I feel like if if anyone watches any one of us perform, and and they their takeaway is, um, you know, a bit of relaxation within their body, where they're like, oh, oh, I, you know, I, I, I feel like. I've discovered this new way to express myself or, or, you know, maybe I want to look into how I can express myself because I've seen, you know, this, this other thing happen. And so the liberation hopefully happens for the audience in that way. 
and the liberation, it, it happens for me going back to what I was saying about weirdness, right? Because uh, the more the more weird shit they apply for, the weirder it gets, right? <laughs> Bring it on. I'm going to get weird right. with you in Oakland soon. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Whatever that means and looks like, I'll meet you by the lake. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Yeah. And what do you both think about the role of nudity? Like where, why, again, I'm coming back to earlier, what makes it burlesque or not, but you know, why, where does nudity come into that project of liberation on stage? Well, I think it's interesting, like what was considered nude at different times is so socially contextual, you know, Victorian era ankle showing. I think for me, like just um, being able to celebrate my particular body, like fat and I have big boobs and I have a small butt and like, like my particular shape and what is my gender? I don't know. Um, to feel that for me without clothes, like really does make me feel, but for other people, nudity would feel like showing just their shoulders. What that means to each person is their own thing. And, uh, so uh, that's what is also exciting, seeing everybody's journey with that, whether it be on stage, whether it be in their own home, where and how we celebrate and get to be in our bodies is exciting. Yeah, the body is just, body and sex are just these like continued sources of repression. So it seems like a good, a good site to begin that project. Do you want to add anything? Yeah. I think that um, it's really interesting the role that nudity plays because what I find interesting is that um, when I think about nudity and I think about bodies, I just think that, you know, about how natural bodies are and how bodies change and bodies, you know, um, my my education is in kinesiology, the study of human movement. And because of that, when I think of bodies, there's meat bags. You know, it's like you spend enough time with cadavers <laughs> and you stop sexualizing body parts. You know what I mean? And so isn't it interesting that the audience gets, you know, this new form of titillation or excitement when our clothes come off, when, you know, uh, when that should be natural. We should, in, in this utopia in my mind, we should be able to walk down the street and hardly anything and not be bothered by anyone because it should just be natural for us to be human beings in our bodies, right? But isn't it interesting that, you know, we, they get excited when the clothes come off because we've shown them something that society is deemed unnatural, us us being nude, right? <laughs> so so I, so I I just find that really that you know therein therein lies a little bit of layered sar- uh, satire because mm. it's like should should you really be this excited about a shoulder, you know? <laughs> but but you are, and that's that's awesome that everyone's excited about it. But it's because we've as a society have hidden our bodies away. It's like let's cover up, and this is inappropriate, and you know, uh, uh, cover up to here and all this other jazz. And it's, and also when it comes to nudity, it's interesting how different it is in different cities. Okay. Like the blue laws, mm-hmm. you go and do a little bit of traveling with your performing. You're like, Oh, I got to cover what, where now? And, <laughs> and so, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And so, so that's, and why? That's, yeah. Right. <laughs> and, and there, there are some places where it's like, I'm sure you all know this, but it's like the dancers can be, topless but if they are but they have to keep their bottom on if they serve alcohol and it's like what <laughs> right it's like, oh someone had a drink so now they're not responsible for their actions what what is that just it, it's all it's all kind of frustrating to to hear and read and navigate 
Right. So many, all these contradictions and the, the absurdity, the construct of it all really, I think, comes through when you start to get into that minutia of the, the um, censorship around it. And, and I'll quote you as well, where you, you talk about the body. You say, we all know what it means to be body shamed. However, no one can shame us without our permission. It's up to us to fame ourselves, love ourselves, and be proud of ourselves. And it feels like burlesque, as I'm hearing you all talk, seems to be this avenue that you're really able to, to fame yourself, which I'm going to put on my bathroom mirror for my own little <laughs> reminder in the morning. Oh, hey, yeah. uh, is it cool if I throw out a little uh, plug about body faming? Please. Yes. So uh, a long time ago, it's just like a pet project of mine. I started this website, bodyfaming.com. And this specific goal was uh, I wanted people to take a proactive approach to loving their body. So instead of because I saw this incident online where someone body shamed this person and then the entire Internet came to their rescue like, we love your body because of X, Y, Z. And I was like, well, what if it was more proactive than reactive? And we said the kind things about our body. And so, you know, there are no comments allowed on the site or anything because we don't need trolls, but just people uh, submitting their pictures and their own kind words about their body. And that's all it is. Right. And um, and so so that's that's where that that mentality comes from. As a spending years as a coach, I spent a lot of time reminding people like, okay, well, you got you have to love your body no matter what it looks like today before we can start doing anything. Because if you come in here hating it, then we aren't going to get very far. Totally, mm. I love that, yeah, and that's still an active that. project, right? So here's the thing: <laughs> yes, the website is still up, but every time I tell people about it, they're like, "Oh, that's cool. That's a great idea. I'm totally going to submit." And then nothing happens. So. Well, <laughs> all right, listeners, that's your call to action. All right, we will link to that. We will link to all of your your work, your websites, your Patreons and cash apps so our listeners can check out your work. And I highly encourage donations to support you all. Um, I know COVID has been a buzzkill for all of us performers. And so <laughs> I celebrate you and your offerings. And thank you so much for taking the time to share and also for the work that you're doing for all of us with our collective liberation. Thank you so much for having us. This is so nice to be here with you all. Yeah, same. Thank you so much for reaching out, for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you. If this episode turned you on, consider dropping a five in the ratings, subscribing to the show, and sending it to a friend. You can help us build our audience this way, and we would be so grateful. Special thank you to Liliana Estes for editing this episode. Thank you, Casey Odesser and Sasha Carney for their rigorous research and preparation for these conversations and to Ben Euphrat for his continued guidance on this show. Stay sexy, folks.